and beloved songstress from Ukraine, Oksana Bilozir, with that traditional welcoming song and very apropos for spring, Oizalena Zeto, Green Grows the Rye. Dobry večer, šinovni radio suhači, ta vitaju vas vsih na radio programu naš holos radio Krinskoho Korinja, katera podjezje vam jak svečajno, što subote o šosti hodeni. Na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u prekrasni misti Vancouveri. I pomareži PCJ Radio Mižnorodnomu. Pri mikrofoni Pavina Makwari, djakuju što ove bole sluhačama sjoni večeri, ta rišala je prvuta zimnoju nastupnu hodinu. Hello there and welcome to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver and in international syndication on PCJ Radio International. I'm Paula Demchik-Makori, Pukadinska Pavlina, and I'm delighted to have you with me. We've got a great program lined up for you. We've got an interview with Alan Bernstein on Ukrainian Jewish heritage, and uh, he'll be telling us all about the final details of their upcoming conference and uh, commemoration, rather, uh, that will be observing the 100th anniversary of a brutal program that took place in 1919 in Ukraine, and also the story of some reconciliation that is going on. So stay tuned for that. We've also got our Pesinka Power podcast, episode three, and that will be all about dyes. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is uh, another songstress from Ukraine, Katya Buzinska. Here she is now with Aunas na Ukraini. <laughs> Yeah. 
Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Есть на свете доля, кто ее знает. Есть на свете воля, кто ее мает. Есть люди на свете с риблом златом сяют, сдаются, пануют, а доли не знают. Та будьте багаті, а я візьму сльози Лихо виливати, затоплю долю Дрібними сльозами, затопчу неволю Восими ногами, тоді я веселий Тоді я багатий, як буде серденько По волі гулянти Доля, кто ее знает, есть на свете воля, кто ее мает, есть люди на свете, с реблом златом сяют, сдаются, панують, поле не мают, ни доли, ни воли, с нудьою, та с горем жупан надевают, плакаты сором. Солиспить діброва зіроньки сіяють Понад шляхом ширицею ховрашки гуляють Спочивають добрі люди, що ковтумило Кого щастя, кого горе, все нічка покрила called Tarasova Nietzsche and Yestna Sviti Dolya, There is Fortune in the World, and that is based on a poem, Katsurena, by Ukraine's national bard Taras Shevchenko. 
Coming up next, more words from Shevchenko. This is Sashko now with Oikreknule Sirihuse, the honking gray geese. Oikreknule Sirihuse, Vyaru Nastavu, Stala Slava Navseselo, Protuju Vdovu. Stala Slava Navseselo, Protuju Vdovu. Не так слава, не так слава, як той поговір, що загаїзне в козак січі, то вдови у двір. Що загаїзне в козак січі, то вдови у двір. Вечеряли у світлиці медвинопили, і у хаті на кроваті спочити лягли. І у хаті на кроваті спочити ляли. Не минула тая слава, не марно пройшла. Удовиця у м'ясниці сина привела. Удовиця у м'ясниці сина привела. Вигодувала мало, в школу дала. А і школи взявши коня купила. А і школи взявши коня купила. Сиделечко шовком шила, жопан дорогий. На коника посадила, гляньте ворогі. На коника посадила, гляньте ворогі. Взяла коня за поводи, село провела, та й привела до обозу, всі що дала, та й привела до обозу, усі що дала. I'm Joan Brander, and you're listening to my Pesinka Power podcast. I love Ukrainian egg decorating. I've been doing it for several decades, ever since I was a child. I've amassed so much knowledge and experience over those years, I thought that podcasting would be a great way to share my passion with you. I'll be telling you about their history, legends, and symbols. On the practical side, there's tools and techniques used in making them. Hints, tips, and do-it-yourself projects to talk about. Did you know that the fate of the world depends on Pesinka? There's an ancient Ukrainian legend that says, as long as Pesinka are being made, evil will not prevail over good in the world. They're one of the greatest traditions of all time, so I hope that my podcast will inspire you. This is Episode 3 where I'll give you an overview of one of the essential tools for writing pesinke. It's all about dyes. I'll also give you some hints and money-saving tips. Pardon the pun, but I'm dying to tell you all about these. Here's a list of what you'll learn. Deciding which colors to choose, how to prepare your dyes, how to store them, how long they'll last, tips for using color in your designs, troubleshooting problems and solutions, and finally, where to purchase Pesinka dyes. That's a lot to cover, so let's get into it. I mentioned in episode 2 that when we refer to making Pesinka, we say we write them. Designs are written with beeswax, but colors are put on with dyes. Please don't use ordinary food coloring for this. They'll just give you pale results that you might not like. Only dyes manufactured for eggs will give you the bright, vibrant colors that Pesinke are known for. Of course, you can use natural dyes that I touched on in episode one, but I'll expand on that topic in another installment. I also mentioned that when I first made Pesinke with Baba, my grandmother, we soaked crepe paper in water to make our dyes. Boy, dyeing Pesinke sure has come a long way since then. Before deciding which colors to use, let's chat a bit about the dyes we use today. They're called aniline dyes, which are basically acid-based. They're non-toxic, so you don't have to worry about using them, even with children. However, keep in mind that these dyes are specifically for pesinke, and pesinke are not to be eaten. 
There are other Ukrainian Easter eggs that are meant to be eaten, and I'll tell you more about those in future episodes. So now we can talk about which colors to choose. You might be overwhelmed by the variety that's available out there. There's so many to choose from, but don't worry, I'll break it down for you and give you a few pointers. Actually, you don't need a large number of colors to get some stunning results, but you do need some guidelines to help you decide which colors to choose. That's what I'm here for. Keep in mind that I use the words colors and dyes interchangeably, but we're basically talking about the same thing. Try to think of all the available colors divided into five groups. The colors are grouped by similarity. For the best results, you would choose one color from each group. So here's the groups. The first one contains the lightest color, such as yellow. Use this color first. In the second group are what I call accent colors. These are dyes such as blue or green. You'll notice in traditional designs that these colors are used in only very small areas. The third group is quite interesting. It contains only one color, orange. You can use it on its own by just covering with melted beeswax the areas on the egg you want to stay orange, or, and here's the interesting part, you can use it as another technique called orange wash. This is a little known and often forgotten way to wash out the accent colors. This is how it works. If you put a blue or green egg into a red or pink dye, the egg is likely to come out a muddy, dirty-looking brown color. Nobody likes that. But if you put a blue or green egg into an orange wash, the darker colors will wash away, and your egg won't look muddy or dirty. It'll be ready to put into the next group of dyes and come out bright and vibrant. Pardon the pun, but Orange, you glad I told you about this neat little trick? The fourth group of dyes are the bright and vibrant colors like red, scarlet, and pink. They give the distinctive punch of color that Pesinka are known for. Finally, you'll use a color from the fifth group. These are the darkest colors, and they make up the background of your design. The final color gives a dramatic contrast to the light colors, accent colors, and bright colors used in the previous groups. Popular background colors are black, dark red, purple, and royal blue. There's other colors that fall into each of these five groups as well. You'll probably want to add a few more to your supplies as time goes by and you learn more about dyes. But if you want to start with even fewer than the suggested five colors, you can do that too. Three colors that work well together are yellow, red, and black. Take your time and do a little experimenting. Have some fun with color. Of course, before you use your dyes, you'll have to prepare them. So let's talk about that. It's easy enough. Just follow the directions printed on the package. The dyes come in a powder. You simply add boiling water and sometimes vinegar. You can make and store your dyes in glass or plastic jars. Mason jars work just great, as do jars recycled from peanut butter or jam. You'll want to use jars that have a wide mouth. A size that holds between one and a half to two cups of liquid is just the right size to hold the contents of one package of dye and one egg. You don't want a jar so tall that you have to drop your egg into it and it breaks. And you don't want one so wide that the dye won't cover your egg completely. Here's a hint. If you're using a plastic jar, test it in your sink first to make sure it can withstand the temperature of boiling water. Otherwise, it could collapse. And here's a tip when purchasing dyes. Remember that for every color you choose, you'll need a separate jar. People often don't think of that when they're shopping. So here's a question I get asked quite often. Can I only use the dyes once? The answer is no, which always gets a surprising look. Dyes can be used over and over again for about 10 dozen eggs with just one package. It's true. If you do the math, that's 120 eggs, which is why making pesenke is so affordable. That's the good news, and there's some not-so-good news as well. I'll troubleshoot some problems and help you find solutions. 
One thing, your dyes could evaporate if you leave them uncovered. That means you'll have to replace them. The solution is a no-brainer. Just keep the lid on the jar when you're not using them. I confess that I'm guilty of this. I'm just so excited and anxious to get to the next step when I write Pesinka. I'm often too lazy to cover the jars. Another thing that could happen is that your dye could get moldy. When this happens, it looks cloudy or has sediment on the surface. You can still use it, though. However, if you just can't stand the way it looks, just strain it through a piece of cheesecloth. Bring it to a boil, add one tablespoon of vinegar, cool to room temperature, and voila, your dye will be good as new. Do you decorate eggs seasonally or for just part of the year? If so, keep your jars in a cool, dark place until you need them. Now, as promised, here are some tips for using color in designing your pesinka. What you want to see in a beautiful pesinka is color contrast. And what I mean by this is light ones next to dark ones. What you don't want to see is one or more of the colors in any of the five groups I mentioned to be next to each other. For example, Two or more of the background colors seen close in proximity will not have enough contrast. The colors will look too similar to be distinct. After the time-consuming job of putting beeswax on your egg, you don't want to be disappointed with your final results. If you're like me, you'll probably copy designs from books and pictures, especially if you're a beginner. That way, you won't have to overthink which colors to use. Over time, you'll learn how to use colors that work well together. Before long, you'll be well on your way creating your own combinations. Are you ready to purchase some dyes? If so, I can help you choose them. If you're buying a kit, for example, you may want to kick it up a notch by adding a few more colors. You can purchase all your supplies from my store, Baba's Beeswax. Just go to babasbeeswax.com where you can place an order or just browse around. Combined with everything we discussed about dyes in episode 1, you should now have everything you need to know. I hope you found the information useful. In a future episode, I'll tell you all about the symbolism of color. But now, let's go to books and bits. In this commentary, I share my favorite books and resources on Pesinka tools to help you make the perfect Pesinka, even if it's your first time. I feature them here and on my website, babasbeeswax.com. A great resource is the Laminated Pesinka Color Sequence Chart, published by Baba's Beeswax. I created it as a guide to answer questions people were always asking me. As a reference and reminder, it covers the five categories of the colors, and explains what orange wash is all about. This color sequence chart is a -a one-of-a-kind publication available only from Baba's Beeswax. You can order it through my website, babasbeeswax.com. Before you know it, I'll be broadcasting the next episode of Pesinka Power Podcast. I'll be discussing symbols and the meanings behind them. You'll learn how to look behind the beauty of the decorated egg to see magical designs and secret messages. Before I go, allow me to tell you about Baba's Beeswax and how you can get in touch with me. Back in 1991, sitting around the dining room table with my family, it got me thinking that, well, maybe I should do more with my egg decorating hobby. We came up with a whimsical name, Baba's Beeswax. Since then, Baba's Beeswax has been doing a lot of buzzing. We have a website at babasbeeswax.com. Our studio comes alive with workshops and demonstrations. We write books, pamphlets, teaching aids, and videos. We have a library for all the publications we produce and collect. Not only that, we have a gallery of all the pesinka we've made and collected. Please drop by for a visit. We're located in Richmond, British Columbia. If you like shopping in person, it's very easy to get to. We're not far from the Vancouver International Airport. And for our American friends, we're just a few hours' drive north of Seattle. For shopping on the internet, you can visit our online store at babasbeeswax.com. We've had it since 1997. Pardon the pun, but we've been buzzing around for a long time. 
We're doing our best to keep up with technology, so we're connecting with you on YouTube, Facebook, and other platforms. Now we're podcasting, and we're very excited to be doing that. You too can follow the buzz by giving us your comments or a thumbs up. We're here to help you choose kits and supplies, like the beeswax, kiska, and dyes you'll need. You can get everything you need all year round, not only at Easter. In case you missed anything, you can listen to my podcast again. We've put the audio file on our website, babasbeeswax.com. Or you might like reading along, so we've put the transcript there too. That's it for me, Joan Brander of Baba's Beeswax. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. This is CHMB, AM 1320, Vancouver. called Techevodas Pidiavora, which translates as water flows from under the maple tree. And uh, that again was the words of Taras Shevchenko, Ukraine's national bard. And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. This is Paulina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. A little over a year ago, I received an email from the Felstein Society in New York. The Felstein Society is named after a Ukrainian town called Felstein, which today is Hvardiske, in the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast near the city of Dnipro. The Felstein Society was founded as a benevolent society in 1905 in New York City to help Jewish immigrants from the Pale of Settlement Galicia, and elsewhere in Eastern Europe. After a brutal pogrom in February of 1919, in which some 600 Jewish Felsteiners were massacred, the society provided refuge and relief to the survivors. 
Over the years, the society evolved according to the needs of its community. The society is small now, but still active. Today, it is working to preserve the memory of its members and the events that they survived, in the hope that it will cultivate greater understanding and prevent a repeat of past atrocities. In February, they organized a worldwide candlelighting ceremony on the 100th anniversary of the pogrom on February 16th. The community of Havardiske, where the shtetl of Felstein once existed, played a large role in that event. The Felstein Society is also organizing a commemorative conference in April. Last week, I managed to catch up with the president of the Felstein Society, Alan Bernstein, to get the details. So, Alan, we last spoke in November, and you had some really exciting news about making contact with the Catholic Church in Felstein, now Varadiske. Yes. Yeah, now Father Peter at St. Wojciech Parish who is planning yes. to have his congregation uh, help you with the commemoration of the 1919 pogrom. I think they were going to partake in the candlelighting event that you had last month, February. Yes, it, it was wonderful. I, you know, we saw video of it, and uh, they sent us pictures. It was covered in a local uh, television station. Oh. And it was quite moving to see all these people who showed up and, and had candles lit and, you know, were participating in the service that the priest had put together. And it was, it was really, it was wonderful. That event took place at the site where the Felstein Society put up a monument to honor the, uh, the people who died in the pogrom because there was no monument for them. And then there's an ancient Jewish cemetery right next to that monument. I was there when we dedicated the monument, and we had a very similar turnout of people. I think maybe they had a little bit more at this event, but it's really quite a turnout. It's quite striking to see all these people. It was, it was really wonderful. And uh, Father Peter and the principal of the school, Yuri Fedorov, are really very, very dedicated to being able to share this story with his parishioners. And they're in the process of translating part of our Yisker book into Ukrainian so that people can read the stories. Wow. And, uh, the person who's responsible for the translation of our Yisker book has forwarded to him a series of chapters from the book that he thought would be most appropriate for uh, Father Peter to translate. Wow. So it's, it, this is a really wonderful turn of events as far as I'm concerned. But then getting back to what we were talking about before, without money, without an organization behind us, it's a pity because if I had a staff of people that I could count on to develop a program and bring some kids over here and, you know, establish some kind of a student exchange or some kind of a scholarship program or, you know, some kind of a broader educational effort across Ukraine. And it's too bad that we can't morph this into something that would really uh, take off. But, you know, we just don't have the resources. You know, I'm just out here practically on my own with a couple of other people. You know, we have our group and there's really nobody else out here remembering this era of history. And it's really too bad. It really is. Well, it is because there's so much we can learn from history and it looks like we haven't learned too much. So there's, there's lots, no, lots more. No, it certainly doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's really uh, putting it mildly. As yeah. But you know what, Al, on the, uh, the flip side of this, it just shows how much you know, one or two, just a few people can do. Because here you are working in New York with a couple of other people, and, you know, you've had to let go a few wonderful people because you've run out of money. But you've got a whole town, a whole community in Ukraine, Ukrainian people who also didn't know anything about the past, and they're learning and they're commemorating, and they'll tell people, and, and word will eventually get around. And if there it wasn't for the few of you people, all those people, and you know, however many are going to be coming to your event, you know, wouldn't wouldn't know. So you, all you can do is all you can do. And I would say you're doing quite a lot. I mean, uh, this event was on TV there, and the school is getting involved. So that's huge. And then here as well, conference and, and other commemorative events coming up uh, in a month's time. You know, you're right. You do the best you can, that's all. Yeah, and so um, let's just recap again what is going to be coming up in April. Well, 
we're getting the, the final details of our uh, event ready. I mean, I was just on the phone with the caterer today, and mm-hmm. uh, and we're getting things set up, and we've got our speakers are all ready, and we're just really trying to stimulate interest and have more people to attend. So can people register online? Yes, people can register online. We're on Eventbrite, and okay. you know all people have to do is go to Eventbrite and search Felstein, F-E-L-S-H-T-I-N, and the event comes up, and they can go right on the website there and register with a credit card, or they can send us a check directly, and, and we're happy to handle things that way as well. But we're really in pretty good shape. We're having a group called Voicecapes has taken the uh, Yisker book and extracted a portion of it that they are going to present dramatically. They're audio actors, and they have created a vignette out of our book, and they're going to do that as our finale, as the final act of our show. Oh. And that should be quite wonderful. It's going to have music and visuals and uh, it should be uh, really quite a wonderful uh, presentation of uh, the book and of the events of the book. So their uh, aim is to do the one-hour synopsis of, of what the book touches on. Wow. In much more detail. And the book is uh, memoirs of people who survived the pogrom in 1919. Yes, yeah. yes the book is in three parts. It's stories of how people were living in the town before the pogrom, and then it's stories about the pogrom, and then it's stories of how people got to the United States and established themselves and made their lives here. So it's the book is in essentially three parts. Okay. All right, I'm just at, at the site now, and I'm, I'm having a look there. Tickets are 25 to 100, and what is the, um, the difference? Well, some people might just want to see the VoiceScape's presentation after lunch, and so we're making that option available. But the other people will be there for the whole day and, and have lunch with us, so the fee for, for those tickets includes a luncheon. Oh, I see. Okay, so that's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. then on yes. Sunday, April 14th. Yes. Okay. And so you're going to be having, um, starting out with a historical perspective on the pogroms, and that'll be Professor Jeffrey Viedlinger? Viedlinger. Viedlinger from the University of of Michigan. And then a tale of two Jewish-Ukrainian brothers, and that will be Mel Werbach. Yes. A Felsteiner? Yes, he is a Felsteiner, and this is a story about his ancestors to uh, fellows who became billionaires in, in Ukraine. Wow. And it represents a tremendous amount of research that Mel Werbach did in order to uh, come up with this story. And you've also got another Felstiner, Paulina Lerner. Who, yes, Paulina yeah. was born in Felstein, and she recently went back to, to visit, and she's going to talk about her story of visiting the town, you know, what it was like. And she met actually with... Uh, the principal of the school, and the two of them decided that it would be a wonderful thing for us to be able to have some kind of a an exhibit, a permanent museum exhibit, depicting life in the town before the pogroms, because both the school principal and Father Peter both really thought it would be a wonderful idea if we could help the children and the rest of the townspeople understand what things were like before these tragic circumstances took place. Yeah, that's amazing, too. Yeah, that's amazing. This is another one of those things that, you know, if we had the resources and we could, you know, put it together and hire hire a museum curator who who could really pursue it, in a way that would really be meaningful to everybody, that would be great. But, yeah. you know, here we are, you know. One step at a time, and, yeah, you never know where it will lead. So, Right. Yeah, see, so you're also going to be having um, some information about uh, genealogical research. Uh, we're very fortunate to have a speaker who's the head of Jewish genealogy and uh, is responsible for running the Jewish Genealogy website, and who's at the Museum of Jewish Heritage here in in the city, and uh, he's a wonderful young fellow, and we're really looking forward to hearing his uh, thoughts about how people can pursue 
finding out about their roots and giving everybody a, uh, a little bit of stimulus to do their family trees and maybe do their uh, DNA and really dig down. There are things that we we had hoped to do that we won't be able to do just because of resources. Again, uh, we were hoping to be able to create a kind of a mega family tree describing where the families intersected because in all these little towns where there were only 12 or 1,500 people, the populations tended to be a lot closer genetically than they are today, and people married their cousins. You know, so the families are all very much intertwined, and we were really hoping to be able to shed some light on, on how the branches crossed, but uh, it doesn't look like we'll be able to get that far at this event. Mm-hmm. Possibly down the road, you know, if we could make this kind of an event sustainable and do it every year or do it every other year or really keep the society more active, then Mm. we would be in a much different position to be able to uh, make some of these uh, activities uh, sustainable. Yeah, and there are so many things to explore, things like the the intergenerational PTSD, um, for example, that I've often wondered myself, uh, and you look around all the broken people in the world, and you, if you go back into their family trees and, and what their ancestors suffered, and how much of that the, stays in the psyche and gets passed down generations? Well, yes, that was one of the things that unfortunately we had to uh, take off the program because we just couldn't afford it. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, yeah, that was a shame. But it's an issue that was raised and an issue that we pursued and we met with the speaker who was going to uh, touch on that subject, who's devoted her life to it and very brilliant woman and uh, was wonderful for us to be able to have met her. And it's a fascinating concept that, you know, is controversial. It's not uh, something that everybody ascribes to. But it is something that many people feel is very relevant, and we will definitely have it on the agenda going down the road. Right. And has she published anything? Is she online? Can people go online? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. People can go online and and see her work and have no question about it. What is her name? L. Daniele. How do you spell that? Y-Y-A-E-L. Okay. D-A-N-I-E-L-I. Okay. She's a brilliant person and very, very dedicated to this idea. She's a a psychologist, and she actually runs programs that focus on intergenerational communication, and she's really an astounding lady. But the thing that we're really going to try to do, we're going to make some of her uh, information available, and people who may want to be able to follow up with her individually will be able to So even though she won't be speaking directly, we're certainly going to make sure that people understand that as far as we're concerned, she made a a very big contribution to our thinking about the event and about this intergenerational transmission of trauma and things like that. So, you know, she was she was very, uh, very important to us in many ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely an important topic to pursue. And so um, back to your your event in April, you've got a lunch is after the genealogical research part, and then you're going to be looking at the YISCOR book and getting an update on that. So can you give us kind of a sneak preview for those of us who can't make it? <laughs> uh, well, the the, uh, the YISCOR book is one of three. There are many, many other YISCOR books that were written about the Holocaust, but in this era, there were really only three books published, and mm. ours is one of three. One was wow. written in Praskurov, now Kemelnitsky, and it was, and then our book, and then there's one other town that had a book, and the name of that town escapes me at the moment. Uh, so the importance of our book, not only from the point of view of Felstein society and preserving that slice of history, but also from the point of view of, of it being a model for Holocaust Yisker books. So uh, it's going to be done. We're in the process of getting it finalized and published, and hopefully uh, we'll have copies available to, to people who want it at the event or soon after. Uh, it's quite a book. It's going to be uh, fully translated and annotated and very readable, and our translator did a just a 
phenomenal job of of putting it together and and working on it. He worked with ten or fifteen different dictionaries because wow. the words you know Yiddish is a language that is a kind of a conglomeration of many languages, right. and oftentimes. Uh, you're trying to translate the text and you come up with a word that sounds like it's Russian or it sounds like it's Ukrainian or it sounds like <laughs> it's Hebrew. So he had tons of uh, dictionaries that he used on a regular basis to be able to uh, get the best possible translation that we could have. So uh, lots on your plate still. You've got a month to go before the event. So good luck with that. And Thank you very much. And to thank you for sharing your story, Alan. And it's, it's wonderful to make contact with you. I'm so glad that we did. I've, I've learned so much myself. And hopefully my listeners have as well. And um, again, thank you for sharing the story. Thank you for all this good work you do. Best, of, uh, uh, best wishes for a very successful conference uh, next month. And uh, with all the, the YISCOR and all the other projects. Thank you so much. I re- we really appreciate your support and your interest and your curiosity and giving us the opportunity to uh, let people know about what we're doing and how it's going. It's been a tremendous boost to us to know that somebody's out there who really uh, is concerned about this stage of history and, and, and what happened and what's happening with it now. Well, well, all the best to you. Thanks so much, Bullet. Okay, thank you, Alan. Thank you. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with Alan Bernstein, president of the Felstein Society in New York. If you are in New York or able to travel there and would like to register for their upcoming commemorative event, please visit their website, www.felstein.org. You can also find detailed information there about this society, which dates back to 1905. Links to audio archives and transcripts of our earlier interviews with Alan Bernstein can be found at our website, www.nasholos.com. This has been Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm Pavlina, producer and host. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. The 24th Annual BC Ukrainian Cultural Festival takes place on Saturday, May 4th in Mission. Enjoy non-stop Ukrainian dance competitions from 9 a.m. till 6.30 p.m., authentic Ukrainian folk music, arts and crafts exhibits and vendors, a children's activity center, and more. And, of course, delicious traditional Ukrainian food. Tickets are just $8, $5, and $1 at the door. That's the 24th Annual BC Ukrainian Cultural Festival, Saturday, May 4th at the Heritage Park Secondary School, 33700 Prentice Street in Mission.
la 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 Nash Holos now has a Patreon site, and I hope as a listener you'll consider supporting the show with a donation there. Nash Holos is not funded by government and has no corporate financing, so as little as a dollar a month will make a huge difference. Your money will be put to good use to help cover the myriad costs of keeping a show like this online and on the air. So please check out our Patreon page. There are links everywhere on the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com, or just go to patreon.com and search for Nasholos. Shteradiakuyu. Anatoly Rudenko and the Folklore Ensemble Kiev with traditional Ukrainian folk song Malyaraz Divchenenku, Once I Had a Girl. And before them, Golem, a, a klezmer band from New York City, which if you're going to be at the Felshton event next month, you might just see them uh, busking somewhere on the street. Well, it's a big city. You never know, though. <laughs> Again, that was uh, Golem with Naruta, the Red Rue. You've been listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, our flagship show in Vancouver, which comes to you Saturdays from 6 to 7 p.m. here on AM 1320 CHMB on the radio dial and online at am1320.com, as well in international syndication on PCJ Radio International. In between broadcasts, please visit our website for transcripts and audio files of interviews and features, information about the show, and, of course, podcast links to stream or download. And that's www.nasholos.com. Nizhami vshiskinchela nasho programu vshichasti domu vizkazati do pabachinya, ala peritemio hochu zalashatavasti kimislovami mudrostia. Shchob volyumate treba spershu sebe objednate. And our proverb of the week translates as freedom is built on unity. And with that, we've come to the end of our program. So to wrap things up, the female beat from Winnipeg with the Nasha Heel and Toe Polka. I'm Pavlina, on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320, thanks for listening and Dobranich!
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.